You know, when people lack hope, it actually really, really messes people up. And a lot of people don't understand um, that even some of their physical ailments um, are tied to a lack of inner hope and an understanding of what uh, kind of hope God wants us to be able to have in Him. Um, I read two or three articles this week where um, psychologists say that one of the leading causes of severe depression that leads into uh, suicide, and not just physical suicide, some people commit emotional suicide. They just go from relationship to relationship. Uh, some people, uh, you know, have a... Uh, there's just different kinds of suicide where they'll have a, a social suicide where they just sort of become a hermit and draw away from everybody. And all those, all those types of um, damaging yourself stuff, a lot of the psychologists are saying, is simply related to the fact that they don't believe there's any hope in their heart uh, for anything. Um, Proverbs 13 says it this way, Proverbs 13.12, you might put a note at the top of your notes about this one, Proverbs 13.12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, that's why we call it disease, um, we have a heart disease of a lack of hope, and when hope is deferred, when it's not there, um, it makes your heart sick, and what I want you to hear this morning, crystal clear, now I think everybody here knows this truth, I just want to tie it together real strong with you. In the next 20, 30 minutes, I want to give you a, a real solid base um, so you can tell your friends, you can be a, a ministry and a source of encouragement to others that God is the source of real hope. Um, he is the thing that changes everything. And our world really lacks that. I think a lot of Christians lack true hope. I meet a lot of Christians who are just on the wrong path. They're sinning. They're, they're, they're uh, living lives of sin. They've abandoned just the basic principles of Scripture, but they're still trying to be, you know, prayers and, and Bible readers and all that, but then they don't obey what God's called them to do, and it's because they lack an understanding of what real hope is. And uh, hope is, is sometimes very hard to find. Um, Annette and I were um, visiting at the hospital. Miss Givens, Ann Givens, um, is still in the hospital. And... Uh, She'll try to figure out what's wrong with her. So we went Friday night to, to visit with her for a little while. Probably stayed there almost an hour and talked with her. And then we were real hungry and we hadn't had any supper. So we decided we'd uh, stop on uh, Airport Boulevard. She's at Providence. So we were on Airport Boulevard. Went to a little Roma Cafe. Some friends of ours took us there a few weeks ago. And it was nice. And so we thought we'd stop there and get a little Italian. And, and uh, we were there at almost closing, like 8.20 when we got there. Um, so they fed us. And, and when we left there... Um, Right there at Airport Boulevard where you pull out, there's a turn lane, turn into the shopping center, which I, my, my truck was sitting in, and then there's two oncoming lanes of Airport Boulevard traffic. And when I looked back, there was a, a silver um, 40th anniversary Mustang edition, silver Mustang getting ready to go by, and I uh, just remember that very well. And, uh, sorry. and then uh, right behind it was a little, I don't know, a little small little thing car, and uh, um, Toyota or something, a little tiny car though, a uh, little red car, and uh, she, as I was pulling out into a very open lane, she was going to change lanes, and uh, she was coming pretty fast, but I thought she was behind the Mustang, so when I pulled out, and as I'm turning, I'm, as I'm pulling out, I just glance in my mirror, and all of a sudden, I see her trying to slide over, well, I'm already, you know, big gray truck, I'm already in the lane, so she's got to make adjustments now, and there's plenty of room. There's nobody else on the road but us three, plenty of room. Well, oh my gosh, <laughs> this lady 
was insane after that to us. She pulls up beside us while we're going down the airport boulevard at like 30 miles an hour and rolls her window down and starts shouting curse words out the window at us. You know, and I'm just like looking down going, you know, if I was my brother, I'd just crush you with my truck, but I don't do that, so that's my brother. <laughs> but I'm just looking like, really? You know, it's like everybody's safe. There wasn't any skidding or any, you know, it wasn't a swerve or a near miss or anything. She was just, ha- she had to make a, quick, a lane adjustment when I pulled out. She wanted to change lanes and she couldn't. And of course, then she gets around in front of us and puts on brakes, you know, and I'm like, Okay, that's the game we're going to play. So we're just, and, I, and I'm like, you know, I'm not into the games anymore as a kid. As a high school kid, I'd have been all over that. You know, I'd have been like, hey, we can play games all night long now. But I wasn't going to do that, so I just kind of, you know, just cruising along. And Annette and I are just going, wow. Well, the, the, the new light they put in there for Academy turns red. And uh, we all stop. She's at the light. Another car pulls up beside her. I pull up behind her, but give myself some room because she gets out of her car. She's wearing a bathrobe and pajamas and fuzzy slippers, and little, little short lady gets out of her car and starts, you know, giving me the, you know, blankety blank, so and so, what were you? And I mean, it's like drizzling rain. I'm going, wow, you're wound up tight, lady. You are just, you really don't let things go, do you? Because there was no damage to anybody. Nobody's hurt. You know, I'm just sitting in the truck watching her entertain us, you know. And uh, there she is, and then, you know, before she gets in the car, she has to explain, you know, she's number one with her finger, and, you know, gets back in her car, and you're like, okay, that's out of her system, we're good. Oh, no, no, no. We've got several more lights of entertainment to take place, and eventually at the Schillinger's light, she's in the, she's in the turn lane at Schillinger's, no, no, she's in, the, she's in the, the lane next to us at Schillinger's, and we pull up next to her, and she rolls her windows down and starts a whole other slur of things, and I'm like, man. Really? Come on. You know, and uh, she eventually turns on Dawes Road, and in the turn lane, she has to race up into the turn lane like she's really angry, you know, like she's showing me her car is really angry at me, you know, zip up beside me and then swerve over real hard. I'm like, you're going to hurt yourself all over a little tiny thing that just nobody even stressed over except you. And she was wound up so tight, and, you know, she went on her way, and, and of course, just like, don't let her follow us home. I don't want her following us house. And I'm like, no, no, she's not following us. And so she turned off, and, but I got to thinking, you know, when I got home, I'm like, man, when you, if you're related to her, she just doesn't let go of stuff. You know, she's like holding on to the littlest thing that went wrong, and she's got to make a huge case about it. I, you know, she looked maybe Italian, I'm not fussing any of you Italian people, but, you know, she had a little bit of that Italian look to her, maybe it's because I just had Italian food, but she was just like, Wah! I'm like, holy cow, lady, Really? Really, you just need to stay in your car and go on about your business because surely other people are going to, you know, cut in front of you or not turn their blinker on or whatever it is that bothers you about all that. And I, and I got to thinking, here's the deal. The only thing that's ever going to help, is the government ever going to have a program that's going to sort her life out and give her any kind of lasting, settled peace, joy, and hope? Could, the, could our government come up with that program? Like, could we send her to a school a night class thing that would just fix that for her? Nope, not going to happen. There's not a class that fixes the strain and the stress that was in that lady's life. I don't know what she was stressed out about, but it was bad. It was really bad. She had to take it out on, you know, a truck. And God help her if some good old boy redneck had been in that truck. You know, Annette was like, man, if we were, you know, good old boy rednecks, you know, they'd have got out and beat the living tar out of her, at least her car. 
You know, and he used to explain to her, hey, you don't make a scene like that with me because I can make a bigger scene. I know people that do that. I've had people try to do that for me, to me. So it was one of those deals. And I'm really trying to understand, God, how would you have, what, what's the way to help her? And it really is the truth of today. It's the, the source of hope for anybody's life that would keep her heart from being sick is God. She needs a relationship with God. Somebody needs to help her have a relationship with God. When I went to bed that night, you know, I just prayed. I said, God, I don't know who in the world you would, you know, run into her. And I kept thinking, somebody needs to run into her and sort her life out. And, 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 uh, but, but somebody's got to help that lady not be that wound up. And it really is the church. The church, I believe the church is the hope of the world. I've heard Bill Hybel say it a hundred times, Barrington, Illinois pastor. Uh, the church is the hope of the world. Who's going to fix those people? These little children in Annette's first grade class that already know very bad cuss words. And they'll cuss out their little friends in first grade. These little kids, who's going to help them? Um, these, these little families that you watch just go from, you know, worse to worse as far as just that they don't have anything in their life and they have no values that are, that are driving them to get jobs and, and create a life for themselves. They're kind of just living off the system and they're, they're okay with that and whatever the, the, the poverty level is, they're going to stay at that level. And, and then they're going to be mad at everybody because everybody else is at some other level. These families that have all that negative energy in them, who's going to help them? Is there a college class, night class that helps them? Is there a government program? No. You know who God sent in this world to help them? The church. And by the way, not the building. Our wonderful building that we're working so hard to get fixed back up. I was proud of Bill and some others have been up here all week looking at all our little electrical issues and water issues and flooding issues, all the stuff. We're trying to get our church really back on uh, where it belongs. You know, it's very exciting to me. But is our building ever going to help anybody? You know, not this building. I'm not sure any new church building could, but I know our building's not going to help anybody with what's troubling their heart. But the people in the building are the church. You are the church, which means God's counting on you to be the hope of the world. You are, and I am the hope of the world. And we don't have to solve all the world's problems, but God does want us to fix the areas around us, the people that live in Mobile, that lady that drives up down Airport Boulevard that's just a little bit whoo, off, you know, we got to help her. I don't know how. You know, I was telling God uh, when I said to the, went to the hospital the next day, I was like, God, if you just let me see her on the road, you know, pull into a grocery store or something, I'll pull up beside her and, you know, make a, a formal apology and beg her forgiveness and then ask her, can I help you get over life like that? Great stars, you don't have to be that wound up. I don't know, but I know the church... It's supposed to be the hope, which means you have to have an enormous amount of hope in you to give to all those around you. And the people that are around you, when they describe you, that's really what they should be able to say about you. It's when I'm with Robbie, or when I'm with Bill, or when I'm with Laura, or when I'm with Kathy, when I'm with Kurt, they should be able to say, you know what, I just feel encouraged. I feel, I feel like there's hope. I feel like there's a reason for everything that's going to turn out okay. And I believe the church is supposed to do that. And it's because you have the Holy Spirit, God Himself and the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and He is that hope. Look in Hebrews 6. It's the song that Hank sang. I love that song. He did a great job with it. Um, Hebrews 6, if you back up to verse 18, if you're using your Bibles, so Hebrews 6 says, So God has given both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchanging because it is impossible 
for God to lie. Now, I love that. It says he has a promise and an oath, and God can't lie, so both of them are solid. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. That's Some translations say great hope. As we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is strong, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Not just an anchor for your emotions. Not just an anchor for your for your mind, your mental abilities. It's not just an anchor for your, uh, for your physical struggles. God literally wants to anchor your soul to something solid so it cannot waver. It cannot be harmed or hurt, and it cannot ever doubt or fear in a way that's harmful to it. And because we have this great hope in God, we can offer that hope to others. And our anchor is supposed to hold. Now, I've watched us as a church family watch many of you go through a lot of struggles and trials and pains. And, uh, and I've watched the anchor hold. I've watched God give you peace and comfort and help through every bit of that. And our church families fought all kinds of challenges and diseases and struggles. And it's that anchor that holds that's supposed to give hope to other people. And I'm challenging you today to express that hope outside of yourself. And I want to give you five ways that God gives hope this morning. But before I do, let me just read you a couple of verses I found that I love so much. Romans 15, verse 3 says, Now may the God of hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope, He is the God of all hope, and He can fill you with His hope. That's the deal. And then it says, um, I, was, I was listening to a sermon by Pastor Chris Hodges, by the way, all these points belong to him, so I have no credit for this. Um, I, I tweaked my own verses into it and some of my own thoughts, but they're really his core, core outline. But he said this great statement. He says, for most people, hope is a verb. It's something we do. But for the believer, hope is something you have. It's the anchor for your soul. See, most people hope, well, you know, I sure hope, you know, Billy gets that job. Or, you know, I sure hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I sure hope our team wins. We have a verb, hope, that we use a lot. But for a Christian... It's not a verb at all. It's actually something that you have. It's a noun. I have hope that I will see my mom and dad in the future resurrection, that I will see my brother in a future resurrection. I have that hope in me, and you can't take it away. It can't be stolen. We found some... Uh, I finally found my wife had to put them in the back of a closet, and she was working on her organizing this weekend, and, and uh, all my old slide... Carousels. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. My son's like, what's all that noise? Because you're, you know, with the slides. But I found a projector that actually worked. The bulb still worked and everything. It, I was like, I'm going to burn the house down with this old thing. But I'm showing up on the big, big wall at our house, and I'm looking at all these old pictures. Uh, Kathy pregnant with Gabe, so that tells you how far back those pictures go. Okay? Because Gabe's way big now. And, uh, but I had all these great pictures I'm looking through. You know, and I'm, I'm looking at my mom and dad. It, I mean, years ago, out on the, the property we bought here, dad working on one of the little farming areas that he had farmed out there, you know, standing there with his hoe and that goofy hat he always wore. I'm looking at all those old pictures going, wow. But then I'm thinking, I have this hope. One day I will stand next to Dallas Givens again, you know, and he won't be mad at me. That's awesome, by the way. And, uh, and I'll be with my mom. 
my brother and my grandparents and all the people that have gone on before, there is a solid hope in me about that. And you'll never take it away. It's not something I do. It's something I have. It's a great understanding of that. Psalm 25, verse 3. The psalmist David says this. And by the way, if you just look up, you just take your concordance and look up the word hope and type it in and let, let the Bible pull up all these verses on hope. There's hundreds of ways that the psalmist and David and the Proverbs explain hope. And it will, it's a good study for you to have, a really good study for you to, to take on and do yourself. Um, Psalm 25.3, No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. No one who hopes in God will ever be put to shame. Psalm 71, verse 14, But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. The Bible literally tells us that God is the one we are to put our hope and trust in, and then our hope is not a doing thing, it's a having thing. Our hope literally becomes an anchor. An anchor is solid. I don't know if you've ever seen a real ship anchor, but they don't move, buddy. When, when those things hit the, the um, bottom of the ocean and lock in, they're there. And uh, it's, not, it's not moving, and it's solid. That's what it's supposed to be for us. So let me give you these five ways, just real obvious stuff, but so important that you understand. First of all, just the very presence of God is supposed to bring you hope. God's presence, His presence brings us hope. And you have to believe in Him to understand His presence. So those of us, those, all of us here today as Christians, we believe in Him, so we know His presence is real, but some people don't have that. Some people just don't have that acknowledgement that, that God is real, so they, they don't lack this. Listen to Psalm 62. I'm going to read all the way from verse 5, uh, 5 through 7. My soul waits in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. And the psalmist says it numerous times this way. My only hope, we, that's why I had to sing those songs this morning. I rearranged the song list yesterday and freaked out the singers when I was like, hey, new songs for today, good luck with that. <laughs> but my only hope is Him, and that's the truth. The psalmist says it crystal clear. You are my only hope, and I only hope in you. And here's what's awesome. When, when Israel only hoped in God, He always came through. He met every single promise He had ever promised them. You know, He sent the Messiah to redeem them. He rescued them from their bondage and slavery. He brought them out of captivity numerous times when they would disobey Him and sin and go into captivity. He would bring them right back out of captivity because He is a God who redeems and He keeps His promise. And our, the very presence of God gives us this rest. And look, look, listen to those first words, though. You mark things in your Bible. highly recommend you do that. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do on this verse. Just underline those first two words. Here's what David says. My soul... My soul will wait in rest and my soul in silence and my soul will find rest. My soul will find rest. The rest of your soul is different than any rest you could ever experience. You know, you can have a good night's sleep or a rough night's sleep. You, you might not sleep good, but the deepest kind of rest anybody can ever find is soul rest. It means when you and God are at total peace and you can put your head on your pillow at night and you can just know God's at peace with you and you're at peace with Him. And your soul can rest. Now, the world around you can be just calamity, crazy stuff. And a lot of the times when David in these psalms is praying these 
prayers and singing these songs to God that he's writing, the world around him is turmoil. He's in battles and wars. David was a king of war. And he's in battles and wars, and sometimes the enemy was attacking him really hard. And he would say, I find rest in my soul in you. And I can rest in you. That's what it means to have God's presence. And David understood that. You also need to know God's promises. A lot of Christians don't know this very well. I'm always proud of our church when we list our promises. But you need to know God's promises. Psalm 119.73 Your hand made me and formed me. Uh, Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. The, The psalmist is saying, my hope is found in your word. When I know your word, and this is God's word right here, when I know your word, I have real hope. When I know your word, I have real hope. If you find Christians that are struggling, and I've done this, I've sat in, uh, in waiting rooms at hospitals um, with, with people who were Christians that were just freaking out. You know, they were panicked over all the future. What could happen if this surgery doesn't go well? And I don't know what we're going to do. I'd say, you've got to find some, some word here. We've got to read the scriptures together and settle your soul down, settle your spirit down. And you've got to rejoice in the hope that God will give in His Word to you. He will give you hope in His Word when you let Him do that. Um, The psalmist actually says, just a few verses later in in Psalm 119, he says, I delight in the law of the Lord. I've asked you about this before, um, but what do you delight in? One of the things on your list, I, I delight in German chocolate cake. I'll just tell you flat out, it's real simple. German chocolate cake, I delight in that. Um, I delight in bow hunting and shooting bows. My, um, Christmas Day, we had um, the family over. Caleb came over. His wife's out of town uh, with her uh, grandmother and parents in Missouri because she's not doing well. And uh, so Ashley was able to go up there. But Caleb, Caleb came over, and uh, he was able to go out on the back deck with me, and we actually were building a bow. I've learned how to build bows out of PVC. It's really weird. Uh, but we, we were making a bow together, and then we were shooting some other bows that I had, and it was just a ball. I mean, you talk about delighting. I was delighting. We were making arrows for ourselves and, and uh, learning some shooting techniques and trying to get it all tuned in and honed in. It was just, I mean, I was delighting in my Christmas day. It was awesome for me. And uh, we had our family together, and we were able to give gifts to each other around the Christmas tree. It was just a delightful day, really. Delightful day. I hope your Christmas was very much like that. But what do you delight in? The psalmist says multiple times he delights in the Word. He loves the Word. It's one of my favorite things about Robert E. Cochran, um, one of our senior citizens here. Is, uh, he just loves to get up and open his Bible up. He has a little Franklin electronic Bible in the morning. He'll put in a key word and let it search verses for him. And uh, at, at 4.30 in the morning, he'll start typing in his devotion word for the day, something he just thinks of. And those verses will show up and he says, I can't, he'll tell it this, this way with that little sweet smile. He said, I can't wait for God to tell me what he's going to tell me that morning. He's delighting in the word coming to him, in God speaking to him for that day. That's how you and I need to start our day. That's how we need to end our day. Lord, I just delight in your word. I can't wait to hear more of your word. The psalmist says multiple times throughout the scriptures, he loves the word more than sleep. He loves the word more than sleep. And he actually says, when I wake in the middle of the night, just get up and read the Word. I just go to your Word. Um, he says he loves the Word more than, this is a hard one, he loves the Word more than food. Really. 
More than food, are you sure? Yeah. We're supposed to love the Word more than food itself. And he says it's sweeter than honey to him. And then he says he loves the Word more than money. Uh, It's more precious to him than all the money there is. That's the truth. The Word of God should be that for you. And it's where you're going to find these promises. It's where you're going to find the promises. You need to have a long list of promises that you're 100% sure about God has promised. Um, What God's promised you is how He gives you hope for your future. And you'll see that real clear in the next one. Um, Then there's this very challenging one called God's process. Um, We are supposed to find hope in His process. And I want to add a verse to this. I'd love for you to add this in. Will you just look in Philippians chapter 1 with me and and verse 6. Just just write this in as a write-in on your notes. Philippians 1 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul says this way, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began the good work will perfect it. So God's doing a work in all of his believers. Every one of you, he's got a work going on. And, and Paul says, I'm confident. God's, he's a good worker of people. He knows you. I'm confident that he who began the good work is going to complete that work in you. He's going to help you. Well, let me show you how he's going to do that. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Here's how he's going to help you. This is part of the way God works on us. Romans 5 is a magnificent chapter in the New Testament. One of, one of my favorite of all chapters. Verse 1 and 2 talks about standing in a, an ocean. The, the Greek words are all about being surrounded by grace like it's like it's an ocean you can't see the end of, and you're just standing in the middle of it. We're surrounded by His grace. And we, we've been loved on Him, um, having been justified by faith. We're at peace with God, so we have peace. And then we have uh, this grace that we stand in. Verse 3, he says, And not only this, we rejoice in the hope of His glory of God, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Here's how He works on us. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Character produces hope. Well, how do I get character? Well, I have to go through some pers- I have to go through the things that I have to persevere. Well, how am I going to learn perseverance? I'm going to have to suffer a little bit. You know how God works on us? He lets life work on us, and He guides us through the trials of this life. He lets suffering and challenges and hardships come into our life. And he says, hey, I don't want you to go around this. I want you to go through this. When I was at, uh, at UMS growing up as a kid, I went to UMS when it was a military school, university military school. And uh, we had all that military stuff. And we did these military training deals during PE where they'd make us go through. The, they had a full obstacle course with all those things you had to swing on and climb over and jump in, puddles of water and all that stuff. And some days at PE... A couple times a year, we had to go through all that, and they would time us and all that. And one of the things was you had to run the entire, it's not the new campus, but the old campus was like a mile and a half or something. You had to run that in a timed amount. And uh, they would start us at the obstacle course, which was on the back side of the, co- the high school, and it ran down this little fence line in the old, there used to be an old road that would go to the back parking lot, like a ball field now. But you would run to the front corner, the old shell road there in the corner, there was this monster um, oak tree out there. 
on the front corner, and underneath it was a ton of azaleas and bushes that had been planted around it. Big, tall, you know, I call mobile azaleas. They're the big kind, right? And uh, so here we go in our whole 10th grade class or whatever. Here we are all running, and we've got to go around that corner. And then you're going to go to the next corner. Then you have to go all the way back around the whole school down uh, Mobile Street to the backfield, across the parking lots to the backfield. Then you come up that backfield. Then you go back to that same corner with the oak tree, round the oak tree, and come back to the opposite course. And it made it exactly whatever they were supposed to be measuring time us on. Right? So we're running our little hearts out. About a third of my deadbeat class goes inside the bushes at the oak tree. You know, here they are just running for all their might. And as soon as we round that corner, there's like 20 less students in the run because they're wait because they know we're coming back to there. You know, and all they got to do is jump in and finish with us. You know, somewhere in there, and then look really sweaty and tired when they do. You know, and I used to think, is that a good idea or a bad idea? You know. It seemed like a good idea when you, you know, when you're thinking through it as a high schooler, you're like, well, they didn't have to run the mile and a half, you know, and under whatever minutes we had to run it, just kill ourselves to make it happen, you know. But then I got to thinking, at the same time, they got no benefit of what the school was trying to build in them as character. They had no perseverance. They had no strength in them at all because they kept going away from the work that the coaches and the leaders were trying to help them with. I see a lot of Christians try to go around the suffering God's put them in. They want to avoid the suffering. And God says, you know, suffering is a natural... You read your Bible. Suffering is a natural part of where we live. This is a sin-cursed earth. It's a natural part of a sin-cursed earth to have trials and sufferings. Some of it's our own fault and some of it's not. You're going to suffer whether you like it or not. The Lord's saying, while you're suffering, I will build up your spiritual muscles. I will make you stronger and stronger and stronger in every trial you go through. I will make you stronger and stronger. I will give you perseverance. I'm going to produce perseverance in you. Then I'm going to produce godly character in you. And that godly character is going to make you a person of solid hope. So that when you're going through the hardest thing you've ever had to face, you will have an enormous amount of hope. And by the way, the next verse says, um, I'm going to read it from Romans 5. It says, and this hope never, uh, hope never disappoints because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, is, who He has given to us. This hope has been uh, given to us, and it never you'll never be disappointed in God when you understand how much He loves you. Well, how am I going to learn how much He loves me? I'm going to watch Him help me through my suffering. I'm going to watch Him teach me how to persevere. I'm going to watch Him teach me my, the character values I'm supposed to have. And then I'm going to learn every bit of that. And then I'm going to go, man, just like the song says, He loves me. He loves me. God loves me. And when I learn that love, it helps me tremendously. So not only, do the, not only does God's, uh, just God's presence help us, but ultimately God's process helps us. And then the last two are pretty simple. God's purpose. God has a purpose for you. A bunch of you know this verse. So... We don't have to dwell here, but you know this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11, several of you, it's your favorite verse. I remember when we all wrote our favorite verses on the board back here. It's your favorite verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. By the way, that verse is in the context of Israel being very disobedient. Israel not being who they were supposed to be for God. And God's saying, look, I know you're a mess right now. You're in tons of sin. 
I am going to fix this, and I know the plans I have for you. When you read the next three or four verses behind this verse, it's all God's work. He says, I'm going to redeem you from this nation that you've run to um, and that's captured you. I'm going to restore your lands. I'm going to restore your wealth. I'm going to restore your honor and your dignity. Not for your sake, but for my sake, because I'm God and you're mine. And you you want to talk about a place in your Bible in in Jeremiah 29, a place you can just write the word grace. Everything that happens from here on in in that chapter about people being disobedient, God's own people being disobedient, he says, look, I know my plans for you. I do. And I'm going to fix this. I'm going to restore you and help you and redeem you and fix you. Grace, grace, grace. You don't deserve it because you're in sin. But I'm going to do it for my name's sake is what he says. So God, God loves to connect his, the hope that we need to our future. He says, I have a, a future for you, not to harm you. plans to give you a hope and a future. I want to encourage you to find your purpose in God. Not in, not in um, you know, don't, you, you can take all the tests to figure out what, what kind of vocation you want to do, you young people. They'll be testing you off a vocation at some point, and they'll say, hey, you'll make a, a good office worker, administrator, manager, or whatever your skill levels are. But first, seek God. Find out what God wants you to be, what He wants you to do, and what He's gifted you to be. Ephesians 2 says every one of us is Christians. Every one of you is created for good works. Good works. So honor God's purpose in your life. And when you find that, it's going to give you more hope than you can ever imagine because God's hope is connected to your future and His plan for you is the future for you. That's what he wants for you. When I found mine at 17 years old right here at this altar, well, I knew God was calling me to something. And I, it would terrified me, terrified me to think of what all I was going to get into and go through and do. I had no idea. But it's turned out to be just this magnificent um, relationship with God that's just built up and strengthened my whole life and uh, given me a lot of hope and security. So God's process, God's purpose, and then finally, this is one that's, kind of unique. God's place um, for your future is one of the great places He gives you hope. His place for your future. If you're a Christian, He's built a place for you to live in in your future. He's built a place. And I don't know if you're like me, but I, I love to drive through the countryside and I see these big open farmlands or these big beautiful country homes, especially ones with wraparound porches. And I go, man, Lord, one day if you'd ever just help us financially to kind of settle out everything and get caught up, if we could just buy a little piece of land and build a nice little country house, wrap around porch, shed and barn out back, and a little pond. That'd be awesome. And I think about my future, I'm like, that would be just, I, I drive through the countryside and see those places, and I go, oh man, I love those places. And I'll go, I'll go back ways to places just to see new ones and go, oh man, Lord, that'd be a great barn one day for me. You know, I'd love that. But then you get to thinking about this. Listen, he has settled a place for you completely. It's already built for you. In, in John chapter 14, Jesus is telling his disciples, I am leaving you. This is the night he's going to be arrested. He's in the upper room with his disciples. He's about to be arrested by 600 Jewish soldiers, maybe 1,000 Jewish soldiers are going to come into the gate of Garden of Gethsemane with uh, Judas leading them and the high priest with him. And these 600 Jewish soldiers are going to arrest Jesus and take him overnight and give him a trial, an illegal trial, an illegal Jewish midnight trial, and uh, torture him for a little bit. Then they're going to turn him over to Pilate, and he's, he's going to be crucified the next day. 
By dark the next day, Jesus is not going to be alive. So he tells his disciples, hey, just a little heads up here. I have to leave. I'm going to, I'm going to be killed now. I'm going to go and do this deal that God's called me to do. And, uh, man, they freak out. When you read John 13 and 14, they freak out. They're like, oh, no, you can't go. Where are you going that we can't go? We want to go with you. And Jesus is like, no, where I'm going, you can't go. No, what do you mean we can't go with you? Don't leave us. They're all panicking. So he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now listen, at this point you'd want Jesus maybe to start quoting some Old Testament verses, wouldn't you? And say, let me, let me tell you where your hope should be found. That you're, you know, hope in God. God's, God's got this. Or you'd want him to say, uh, let, let me just console you with some verses about my love for you. That's not how he consoled the disciples when they were highly stressed out. They were highly stressed out. He goes, don't forget this. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you will be always. You want to settle your stress when you're really stressing out over anything. By the way, I was doing a little study this week on this. Once this new sermon kind of kicked in, I was trying to figure some of this out. And uh, the, the, the people that research all this say one of the biggest challenges for us as just humans um, is that we think about our future in negative terms. Uh, that's what panic, that's what causes panic attacks and people that get stressed and anxiety, um, they, they, they foretell very bad things that are going to happen in their future in their mind. Then it stresses them out like, oh no, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, some of you know the IRS has been troubling me for months now. And they, they, these letters just keep showing up. You know, like, man, the IRS, once they find your mail address, they just love to mail you stuff. So everyone, I'm, you know, I see it on my bed and I go, I don't want to open that up today. What if it's got this in it? What if it's got that in it? You know, and it's all about me predicting my future without really studying any of the facts. Well, here's Jesus' fact. Fact, fact, fact for you and me. To his disciples, when they're freaked out about him leaving, he says, I've got a place for you. And nothing's ever going to take it away. You can't lose that place, by the way. You know, there's a, there's a book in heaven. If you know Christ, your Lord and Savior, there's a book in heaven with your name written in it. Isn't that just cool? I just want to go see my name. I want to see how the angel, you know, is a curly Q or you know, is he print? You write really bad like me, you know. But I want to see my name written in that book. It's there. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life if you know Christ. And then there, it says he's built a place in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If that wasn't true, I'd go, I'd tell you. And I'm going to go prepare a place for you so that where I am. There you can be always. Now, that's some serious hope. It means whatever happens, you know, whatever happens to you, there's a place that God has for you with Him forever and ever and ever. So all these uh, principles that you've looked at this morning, they're not new to you. There's no rocket science here. But the fact that God's presence and His promise and His process and His purpose give us hope. And then ultimately, He says, the greatest hope you'll ever have is just to know you and I have a place together. We have a place we're going to live together forever. Just us. All of us as Christians, we're going to live there together. And I've made it just for you. It's all prepared now. Aren't you excited about being there? You know? Um, the soul rest that you really need comes in knowing those principal promises. See, that's one of the promises that he gives. And it's a promise about your future. God always ties his hope to your future. Not the future that you worry about, the future that he's already settled. See, he's ultimately settled your future completely. 
You've got to give him the sovereign permission to do that, and then you've got to rest in it. All right, will you bow your heads with me today?